Hello, wonderful listeners. This episode is an extension of episode 10. And in the first segment, you can hear Michelle and I grappling with the concepts of praxis and automatic motor functions and complex processing and how all of that relates to executive functions. And we honestly weren't sure we were going to include all the parts from today's episode, purely because we weren't convinced it was easy for anybody else to follow along as Michelle and I work to embed the concept of executive functions um, into what we already know. But we set out to record real clinical conversations and this is often what they're like. So keeping it authentic, you're getting our real conversation um, with all the twists and turns as we learn. Um, And so here's to the process of engaging in deep learning and hopefully you find some hidden gems along the way. Hi there, my name is Corey Dundon and I'm Michelle Maunder. And you are listening to Spirited Conversations, engaging and elevating pediatric occupational therapists, a joint collaboration between SEED Pediatric Services and Developmental FX. Each week, you'll hear from myself and Michelle as we nerd out with Tracy Stackhouse. Just a note before we start, Spirited Conversations is for informational purposes only. With that, let's jump in to today's episode. Hello, we're back. Hey, Michelle. Hey, Tracy. How are you guys going? Corey, I'm awesome. I'm really glad to be <laughs> investigating more of the exact function, complex processing. Me too. What about you, Tracy? Yeah, I'm so glad to be back with you guys and um, really excited to talk about the next, you know, layer of understanding the really, you know, executive functioning is complicated, but almost every child that we end up working with at the end of the day, we have to tap into it because it's so such an instrumental set of skills for everyday life um, from all of the planning and problem solving that we have to do to being able to stay regulated as we move through it and keep the coordination of all of the systems, that grand um, orchestration that happens. So executive functions end up being really involved in most of our goals at the end of the day, um, and they can be affected by almost all of the sensory motor disruptions that we might commonly see. So it's a really important topic for us to spend some time on. Yeah, it was so helpful last time, and I'm really excited to get a bit further down the line this time, just around, I guess once it's the capacity has built a little more, what what might we see even just like in the everyday average human being how do we see the executive functions play out and then also I've I know Tracy you've talked about uh, in my presence before the complex processing and how that can play into executive functions or when that's not uh, I guess if it's not as robust a skill uh, being able to process the world in a more complex way that that can really have an impact on our ability to use our executive functions and potentially effortful control. I wanted to clarify one thing, executive function, when I say executive function, is effortful control a separate element to that thing? Is it an, um, is it under the umbrella of executive function or is it a, are they a tandem thing? Like how is that? 
yeah. how do you classify those two things? Yeah. So that's a, a, a question that is still depends on who you read, I would say would right. be the answer. Um, right. So the way that um, I tend to sort of refer back to and think about this now is I think about them as sort of tandem functions. And that's really related to the the neural networks that are involved in them and also the the resources that each are drawing from. So effortful control functions tend to be a bit more emotional in nature. They draw a lot from the social-emotional circuitry in a really specific way because of that motivational system and how it kind of juices you up and connects you to why am I doing this? What's my purpose? Um, executive functions draw from those effortful control functions to help organize you, to help you hold on to your goal set, to help you plan and organize and shift and respond to the changing conditions and allow you to be really fluid in it. So at the end of the day, you know, when we self-regulate and we have self-control and we move into being the self that we want to be in the world, those those self-skills are supported by both executive functions and effortful control. So they're kind of kissing, well, they're tandem skills. They're, they're um, collaborative skills that draw across a lot of different networks. Sometimes people will just use the term executive function to refer to all of it, but as the science is unfolding, um, there's really an important set of different networks that are involved in each component, each of those sets of skills. So I, I think it's important to, to disentangle them, mostly because in your clinical reasoning, it matters mm. when, what you're focused on, what you're in, holding your intention and goal around. And so I, you know, in the spirit tool, we put in there the information that is really drawn from the research that tells us, here are the core things you need to be thinking about to really guide really efficacious intervention. So, yeah. So, and, and go ahead. Doesn't the exec functioning, as you're saying that, Tracy, it's making me think that I can have for full control, gosh, I can't even say it, <laughs> to focus on something that I might already be really interested in and, and but I might, it's only when I add additional exec function resources that I might take it to the next level of mastery, that I might have some more development. Otherwise, I'm sustaining attention perhaps in a repetitive way though and not expanding it. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so that's really because these complicated skills, they, they're they vulnerable to kind of getting sticky is the easiest way to describe that, right? Mm. So if you're, mm. if you're really working on something and you start to be taxed by the complexity of what's required, either the thing that's hardest for you or the thing you're best at in either direction is going to kind of catch you. Mm. And so if you're super good at something, then you get stuck on the thing you're super good at and it's hard to shift off of it. Or if something's super hard for you, then you can just keep tripping over it and tripping over it and tripping over it. And so we can see that kind of rep repetitive error mm. or kind of being stuck mm. um, for either reason. But it's really because we don't quite have the resources to navigate the complexity that we're faced with. And so executive functions and effortful control 
are made up of all these subskills, and each of those subskills in and of themselves is 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 more circumscribed. And in some ways, in some of the literature, they'll say that those are simpler. Um, and combined all together, you end up with complexity. Yeah. So complexity is really just when you have multiple skills that have to be deployed simultaneously and that you have to navigate that. So that's complexity. Um, what's interesting also is that, you know, life is complicated. Yeah. The, the task of, um, you know, driving your car down the street is a really complicated task because you have to have the motor control and the sensory awareness to have all of the pieces in mind, but you have to remember all the rules of the road and you have to remember the rules of um, the society. And then you have to think about the other people and safety and you have to think about where you're going. And then you have to maybe think about like, Oh, I'm late or I'm going to be early or I have to park or I forgot something or all of the myriad of things that go on. So a skill that for each of us, once we've mastered it, like driving a car, maybe we have mastery over it and it feels fairly simple, but actually it's very complicated what you're doing and how you're managing it. And car accidents tend to happen when a person who's doing a fairly simple task for them where it gets cluttered because of maybe they're multitasking too much or a condition surprisingly changes and, and something unexpected happens. And then you have to respond to that in a particular way. So, you know, that's just an example of something that can feel straightforward is never that straightforward. And our daily life tasks as human beings always are this dance of complex and simple kind of meandering and moving us through being effective at accomplishing the things that we want to accomplish. So, and, and doing that in the way that where we feel like we could meet the challenge, that we felt okay about the challenge, or maybe even that we felt super proud about the challenge. Like, like even still, sometimes if I'm parking my car in a really tricky spot, I'll feel yeah. really proud of myself at the end of that moment. Yes. Like if you do a really tricky reverse <laughs> parallel or something. Yeah, totally. So even something we have mastery over can still bring us about a sense of like, I did that. Yeah. That's interesting. I um, So that was a good example because you were talking about complex processing and sometimes I'm like, oh, what does that actually mean? So I guess that was a good example of like driving a car for an adult of complex processing. I guess something like even just playing for a, for a kiddo, playing a game of soccer um, is a fairly complicated thing, right? In terms of... Um, the knowing the spatial bounds of and sorry we say soccer in Australia so um, we say, you say soccer, soccer in, in America, America too, but everybody else says football yeah, yeah so <laughs> everybody else says football, football so yeah. we've adopted that one Australia's we take bits <laughs> from everywhere but yeah so um, I guess knowing where the boundaries are of the out like where is out where can I go am I onside am I offside where's my teammates versus my opponents where like um, you know how far or close am I to the ball or like where am I planning on going and 
I've got the ball at my feet, but I'm planning on taking it there or so. And I, and I guess it's similar in terms of, um, motor, like in the car, you have to be able to coordinate and, and sequence your legs and your arms and similar with soccer in terms of, I have to have motor skill around that, but I also have to have spatial processing. Um, and so I'm just trying to think of an example where potentially if, if the load got too big, cause it seems as though it gets from a point of being a complex process to being and more automatic if you practice it right. enough. That's Is that right. kind of the thing? And I guess there's also the quality of it because I see yeah. lots of kids. Um, well, my example, I guess, of complex processing is eating at the dinner table with the family, mm. for example. Um, yeah. Like eating is super yeah. complex as yeah. well. And it's that quality. You can have a kiddo who we might see. Yeah on the soccer field that may vaguely know the direction they're going and but they um can't balance on their foot and keep their eye on the ball and grade the um force of the kick for example to get it at the right angle that they know so I guess it just comes down to the quality of it because I think a lot of people adults included in me um can get away with some basics um but it, the quality might drop down drops down and then if the load gets even harder it's a rainy day I guess that's where you feel see that yeah or maybe the example on the soccer field is, is I can do that orient my eyes to the ball shift my weight hold my balance kick the ball to my to my friend or my team when I'm in practice and it's a straight line like as in I'm just mm. kicking it right directly opposite to me. And then now you've put me on a field with like multiple other players and I don't know, potentially distractions externally to the field or like people you, cheering. You, yeah, who knows? You know, and then suddenly now I can't really can't do that skill anymore. Well, I can't hold it all together at once. Yeah. Like I have that skill in a less and I guess I'm describing that situation in the training aspect is less complex. Like I can do it in a less complex environment. But does complexity also, the motor skill might also shift in complexity too, Tracy? Yeah, and it's drawing from the automatic motor skills that we have. Like we can stand upright against gravity and we can shift our weight and we can move through space. But now if you add complexity of... I have to move through space while kicking a ball while moving around other people and toward a target. So something that is automatic can become really complex fairly quickly. And so we we have lots of different, you know, we have automatic processing and then we have more volitional, planful processing. And those different kinds of motor processing, for instance, are simultaneously operating And so when you are playing footy and you're trying to score the ball and or score the goal and somebody kind of comes in in front of you and you have to adjust your speed and your timing in order to do that, like online, if you don't have great automatic motor control, then you're going to have a much harder time finessing that. Um, And so people who are super athletic, they're really good at coordinating the automatic and the planful and being able to shift and switch between those two things 
in a nanosecond, whereas people who are a little less finessed and less practiced at that, you you can almost see that they're breaking that 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 breaks down where the um, automatic switch into planning verse and then back, you can almost see the kind of groping quality or I can't quite you know stop the automatic thing from happening from the thing that I want to do that's more careful yeah. yeah. Does it all happen from, do you have to get that automatic processing first? So I'm just thinking about that, that there's some kiddos that mightn't um, have the problem solving, which is part of exec functioning, to go fake it to the right, but then kick the ball to the left, which is a more exec functioning capacity. Do I have to have all the basics of the sensory motor system becoming all ma- or automated so I can do those things and a bit like the exact functioning skills. Do I have – am I able to shift attention, laterally think, come up with another – like an idea to allow me to, to pretty quickly – I don't know, does exact function happen automatically as well so that that just happens as fluidly as the body shifts – does does exec functioning give me another idea and motor plan so I can do that in the moment as well? Mm-hmm. So really, the um, what you're drawing from Michelle is how executive functions on this way in this way are really a part of our praxis network. They're really a part mm-hmm. of our ability to mm-hmm. um, become super skillful at uh, using what's available to us, the affordances from our own body, with what's available out there to do, and sort of syncing those things up in a way that makes us really efficient and uh, and fluid. So that's really the kind of the this broader umbrella of a praxis function, Mm -hmm. but it draws from the executive functioning network and it actually draws Mm -hmm. from the effortful control network as well. So Mm -hmm. yeah, so when we think about these more motor based examples like you know driving a car or eating at the table or playing soccer they're going to they're we're we're drawing from the praxis function as well but um so to to think about it in terms of more the executive functioning networks that are involved in it it's you know so so that's the thing any of any of these human occupations that we perform in our daily lives playing a game getting dressed in the morning driving going to work getting on the bus all, all of the things that are our daily existence they they are complex skills that become automated on many levels but we have the ability to then fine tune them and get better and better at them so we're always drawing from from each of the resources that make it complex. So sometimes we draw from the cognitive network or sometimes we're drawing from more the social functions. Maybe we're drawing more from language-based functions or spatial functions or, or basic motor or sensory functions. So anytime we're doing a complex skill, we have all of those resources that are available to enrich and inform the thing we're trying to do. And so executive functions are... In some ways, the partly what's orchestrating that and keeping us on track. That in fact, what I'm trying to do here is play footy, and what I'm trying to do is actually 
learn that sometimes I'm on offense and sometimes I'm on defense and sometimes I'm going for the ball, but sometimes I'm helping my teammate to go for the ball. And that kind of shifting that happens really quickly within a game is really hard for our kids that come for therapeutic services because they can't often navigate all of that shifting and all of the complexity simultaneously. Mm. And so you'll see them have one or two or three domains that are stronger and one or two or five that are weaker, and and it breaks down and it, it gets hard for them. And it isn't just a matter of practice. You can try to practice, but it, it's like it's the complexity. You can't reinvent every complex situation. So, uh, yeah. yeah, that's it's a really... And that's it's, where that splinter skill training comes in. It's like, well, if yeah. you, we can get you to be an amazing striker... Um, versus let's work at the underlying um, function skills that aren't yeah. um, well, firing like up. The example that I was giving where that child has mastered that skill of kicking the ball to their teammate when it's in this situation. Mm. But as soon as you add the, all the other elements of complexity that are involved in a game, there starts to be pieces that break down. And what you were saying before, Tracy, around that automatic control that we have so so say I've now automated the capacity just to dribble a ball so just to dribble it in front of me and keep it in front of me and I know how to do that but now you've added a a defender and I have to use my executive functions to stop and inhibit the automatic thing that I'm doing to then plan to make a different choice given what's in front of me. So that's more like that's where it's going into that praxis element, right, Tracy, is like mm. this is what's in my environment. I have this automatic skill now, but I have to adapt that skill and use something else in my repertoire to adjust to the complexity that's in front of me. But like you said, you'll see that breakdown and, and the kids sometimes that we work with will just keep dribbling the ball and they'll dribble it straight into their defender and the defender will just take it. You know, like you, mm. you won't see the adjusting or the adapting in the moment. Or if you like, you, like you said, you're catching the bus and suddenly you don't have your little tap card or whatever it is that people use to catch the bus in their different areas. And you then have to make a plan around, well, how am I going to get my ticket? Where can I, what's in my environment? Where can I go to to do that? Or do I have to plan differently to ask the bus driver to buy a ticket? Like, I guess there's there's that element of where often I'll see it in session is just the repeating of the same skill, but hasn't always adapted to the environment that has asked for something different. Yeah, absolutely. They'll offer out the same thing. Yeah. So I think for clinicians, one of the things you want to do is ask yourself that question. If you see somebody kind of being stuck and they're repeating, are they repeating because they're trying to master the automatic? And if that's true, we want them to master, we want them in a way to be yeah. stuck. We, we want them to, to master catching. If they're into it yeah. and they've not mastered that yet and they're stuck on, on it, that's not necessarily something that we want to shift we want to help them stay flexible with it and not have to have it done in a super rigid, exact repeat way. But, 
you know, mm. so so the automatic function could be what they're actually working on mastery over. And you have to have mastery of automaticity often in order to really be able to finesse a little bit higher level problem solving and responsive to the conditions. Mm. But, you know, in the dynamic systems that we're dealing with here, they're, they're simultaneously going on. But in, in the clinic, you want to be kind of asking yourself that. Is this child kind of stuck here because the complexity is making it hard for them? And so what can I do to manage that? Or are they stuck because they're really working on the automaticity and the complexity? They're not even paying any attention to it because they're really dialed in at a different level. Yeah. Totally. Are they trying to get the automatic or are we mastering the complexity? That really made me think just recently of a situation where I was like, a child came up with the idea for me to throw these little light kind of balls at them where they could stand across the room and just hit them back, hit them. Basically, the game was you have to throw the balls and try and get them past me and I'm just going to hit them back. And um, I straight away was like, how else? Like, you know, I wanted to make the game more complex, but if I stop and think like just stopping and thinking about it now, I'm like, you aren't very good at throwing and catching and you probably are just trying to master this object is coming towards me. How do I time my hand and align it with the object that's coming towards me? And so, and that was enough for them. They didn't need to make it (laughs) a game or call it. I don't know, no, and and I tried to introduce, I tried to curiously wonder about what else could we do in this situation, and it just wasn't flying. It was like, no, I just just do this, just course. do this, just yeah. throw the ball, <laughs> and um, and so of course I let go of my, <laughs> what are we doing here? And was like, okay, I, there's something in this that you're wanting to do, and and potentially it'll get more complicated, or you'll move on when you're ready and he and, <laughs> well, and I'll see what's really yeah, happening here. <laughs> yeah yeah and um and and it did but it was just uh you talking about that then Tracy helped remind me that w- wait a second he was working on the automatic function of just knowing how to handle objects coming towards me and I was I was not meeting him there I was ready for complexity a more complex game and this kid totally struggles with executive functions so really good reminder actually Mm. just for me as to like oh look you don't always have to be at the complex level there's and you might get there in certain situations and in other situations you have to go back and refine the automatic so I don't know if that comes up like if you have thoughts about times where you've had to do that similar thing Michelle or just kiddos that help refine that or my tendency is to want to wrap it into a game that um, transports into the playground so that they can be connected a bit more socially depending on the age that kind of wouldn't fly in a school playground for very long Um, particularly if you didn't swap turns or you didn't have the highest winner or personal best or so that is my urge to be like oh then we could 
Oh, I don't know. I can't even think of what yeah. I'd say. But yeah. that's it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. There's no game, Michelle. We're not in the playground. We don't have to help this kiddo have a play schema that becomes transportable. Yes. So that's my that's my stop and think. This this is just part of this it's not a social piece right now. Mm. This is just a sensory motor automaticity. Yeah, like learning a skill. Mm. So how would I I'm I'm thinking about for that um particular situation or even for other situations where they're trying to learn um a skill is it more in the curiosity and they start to open up I'm just thinking about the shift between now I'm going automatic to more complexity is it more like we were talking about way back when when we did our praxis mm. episode around if I offer out the curiosity of god I wonder like how else we could play that game and they go with me is that then an indication that they've felt like they've, there's a little more mastery around that automatic function? Yeah, definitely. Or how would I know it's starting to shift? Yeah, so I think, you know, as you, as you start to have more command over the automatic pattern, like hitting the ball or catching or kicking or dribbling or whatever, then, then what happens is that your own drive, that motivational bias system is going to be like, what else is there? What, what next? And that what next is is a question that we have internal to us when we have mastery. We want to use the mastery for for a purpose. Um, so automaticity serves purposeful action. Um, it sort of subserves it. It's underlying it. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. when something mm-hmm. is like, I got that, I got it, I've got it. Now I want to use it. Um, And so if I'm, you know, that, and so it's sort of like, yeah, finding that. I think for our kids that can get stuck in loops and patterns, um, it's really noticing a couple of things. One is that when somebody's acquiring a skill, it doesn't look as fluid and easy. And we are really Mm -hmm. good at observing quality of movement, the grading and the timing and the positioning and the alignment and the ability to hold the eyes and head and neck and ears and posture in alignment to the thing that we're trying to do. So what you'll notice when kids are struggling with automaticity is that almost always you're going to see something that doesn't look quite refined. And that unrefined quality is sort of telling you either where some difficulties lie or it's just revealing to you that they don't have they don't have it pulled together fully yet. Mm. So that's that's when you want to hold off on trying to add a lot of complexity mm. because you know if they're showing you that they're not really organized in their body and in space and in the skills that allow them then that's telling you that. But I, but I want to say a little caveat here and that is that in the dynamic system that our system organizes around. Sometimes the higher level thing actually is what syncs it up. So, yes, like, I'm just I was do that. Yeah, like I remember this one little boy that I was working with, and he really did, he really wanted to learn how to play baseball. That was like a thing for him. He really wanted to do it. Um, so, if I put the, and his dad had been working with him by putting the ball on a static little stand. We call that T-ball here. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And you're supposed to just hit it off of that stand. Mm. And I think he'd been working on it with him for a little while. But the thing is, is that, that 
it was it was holding him in this kind of more rigid posture, mm-hmm. and he was trying so hard to hit that ball off of the thing um, that he was just everything felt stuck and harder than it needed to be. So when I hung a ball from a string and it was more dynamic and moving in space, and then he could hit it, it freed him up. And so sometimes um, where he was like really holding the bat so tight and he couldn't relax his body, couldn't find his midline, all of these things were sort of bogged down because it was too static and it was too um, oversimplified. And he needed it to be more contextual. And um, so anyway... We this is so interesting how we're and I you know what I love here is that we're we're talking about how automatic motor skills do play a really pivotal critical role in in executive and and effortful control skills. So in the development of their in their development, just neurodevelopment the whole system, the whole prefrontal system comes together because of sensory motor signals. Mm -hmm. And a a lot of it is around eyes into midline, out tracking, back to midline, out tracking, and then how that synergy organizes our ability to take in the world to our midline and put our limbs out in space, take in the world, put our social beings out in space. So this Mm -hmm. kind of coming in and going out, coming in, going out, is a psychotic eye movement that's really clearly documented to be the foundational pattern that sets up the attentional networks. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's fascinating because when we work with kids, we see this coming in and going out, coming in, going out. It reminds me so much in the last episode, Mm -hmm. Corey, we were talking about a kiddo you were treating and how this kind of rhythmic movement and sharing space was such a cornerstone for helping him to start to get into that executive system. Mm -hmm. And it's really just a total mirror to how it unfolds um, so, you know, we're, we're having this conversation where we're talking about sensory functions, we're talking about motor functions, and then we're talking about executive functions, and we're talking about daily occupations. But that, so I, I hope people are following that <laughs> line of thinking, because that's really, it's why we need a tool like the spirit mm. so we can yeah. track our thoughts, and so we can lock it in, and we can figure out what to do. But this is the reality of, of what these neural networks do for us. So, and, and it helps us choose which one to lean into. Yeah. Again, I was thinking of the kiddo we spoke about it last seems. episode. We have taken sensory motor away at the, for a, a little yeah. bit at the moment to, well, to firm up yeah. uh, and, and um, going with the motivational system yes. um, and – firming up the exact functioning, attentional, working memory um, systems, and then we'll have to layer it back in, though, because yeah. when he yeah. is walking around freely, that it, won't hold it. it doesn't or, hold or it. We'll and have we, to figure out how to create that so that's that he right. does, right? I'm thinking that we're f- building um, 
the exact functions so that we've got some, um, this isn't the right word, but neural robustness to it so that then we can lean into the sensory mm. motor system with a little bit more foundation, I guess. Yeah, like having the capacity mm. there to build off of. Yes. I guess we haven't necessarily taken away a sensory motor, but you mean, I think what you mean is we ha- when I'm not working on building that as a skill, mm. I'm not directly working on um building sensory motor functions i'm using his what he's presenting in his current capacity to inform what i need to give him to support the sensory motor skills so like having containment physically being Mm. on the swing giving that linear input all of that helps anchor him so i've got the sensory motor piece there but i'm not challenging that yeah i'm like trying to figure out how do i support that skill and then use the like you said the motivational bias of wanting to be with and the rhythm to then build the the stop my thought about the window Mm, come back to Corey. Yeah. yeah and so I don't know. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. You were working in midline and that approach and back, but look, we're not going bilateral, you know, into no. bilateral. And but dance. Tracy's yeah, whole yeah. thing just then of going, coming in and come that mm. psychotic eye movement because I'm, I'm nowhere in my session getting out pen lights or ocular things for him to track or any of that, but he's coming into his midline and orienting to me and getting eyes on me and then his eyes are moving away and then he's inhibiting that eye movement and coming back to me which is like literally isn't that the definition of a psychotic, psychotic eye movement eye. Tracy <laughs> um and as you're coming and going he's converging and diverging yes. but staying on yes so that's really cool because I didn't even think about that last <laughs> discussion. Yes, you did. Yes, no, you but did. <laughs> I mean, like, it's just again refining your ability to like actually observe what is going on in this moment with this child that relates to the neurology of why I'm building this capacity. That's exactly mm. right. That's right, and it's the adaptive response. I mean, what we're talking about, you know, ultimately is, you know, and this is sort of my passion in the world, is to help clinicians find um, those threads of here's where this child is and here's the adaptive function that I really want to strengthen for them. And then how do I connect the dots between those things? And Mm -hmm. in the activities that we're doing in treatment, in the experiences that we're having and sharing in daily life, how are we going to really build that? And so... I, I think that it isn't just through practicing like a splinter skill, like you guys mm. mentioned before. It's about understanding that whole network and how do I bring it into the next level of capacity. And we were talking earlier about just complex skills. So what you're going to see is, you know, as the skill starts to strengthen, then you can start to focus on the different components of complexity. And so much of what I think our work is about is figuring out when am I going to layer in, you know, attention versus social versus language. 
And, and that's why we have to have these kinds of discussions around each of the kids we treat because it's not a straightforward formula and it isn't um, something that you do the same with the 10 kids you see in a few days in the clinic. It's, um, it's always individualized, yeah. So I'm kind of wondering if in... So for the example of this eye movement of moving my eyes, directing my eyes. I know that like early on, usually that's related to a social interaction, right? It's well, it's usually driven by, I want to find your face and I, I really want to hold. Yeah, yeah, usually. So I'm just wondering, I'm, I'm just thinking about the next steps for all of these things. Cause for my kiddo, he's starting to do that. I'm just wondering how we would it would start to look as it moved as the capacity increased. So he's got this ability to do this in this context, I guess, as that neural capacity develops, and I have more more, I guess, robustness in the, mm. the pathways. Would that be when then I start to think about that same activity, but then wondering about if I'm if I'm a little further away, what happens? Or, um, I don't know, it's just how we would start to tweak the activity to see if there was some holding of the capacity at a greater adaptive, like, can I adaptively respond at a, at a greater challenge? So that's scaffolding, like going, taking it to the next level. Yeah, well, and- how would we take that kind of thing and move it forward if, and, and, just as a wondering if that was where he's ready, if that's what he's ready for. You know, because some... And I'm, which bit do you scaffold? Like, I'm yeah, wondering about your this, affect. It's totally. like, if I tone my affect down yeah, um, and I don't join in singing the nursery rhyme, does his yeah. eyes, you know, his oculomotor system stay on? Does his attention stay on yeah. when you turn affect? Down. I'm laughing because I did this yesterday <laughs> and he goes, you're not singing. <laughs> there you go. So that's not. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, okay, well, let's sing. <laughs> um, which is really cool because he told me like, come on, like you're not singing. You know, I didn't lose him. In, you so know, maybe the next step is yeah. going further back. Yeah. Like, or right, moving or... further away. Or is it the swing itself? Do I offer slightly less postural stability Mm. or like can you still organize your whole system to still find me in space Mm. or not or yeah I'm moving closer to the window so he the the lure of the distractions are bigger yeah Yeah, I don't I I, don't know can we go wrong where we choose to challenge (laughs) I don't think that you can really go wrong as long as you're observing the adaptation and you're following that and Mm. you're you're staying in the line of what is it that you're really trying to help him to build toward. Um, what's interesting is that we're working on his eyes to you, to the, mm. to you and away from you, to you and away from you. Yeah. Because that's hard for him. And um, yeah. if a child has that capacity inherent to them, then they just have it. And they, they use it, and it's pretty robust, and we don't, and then they can build from it. So the kiddos that we end up seeing for therapy, some of these automatic capacities that really subserve higher-level skills, like executive functions, 
we all have the potential to develop them, but we aren't sort of born with them. But we all are going to learn how to move with anti-gravity control unless we have a sensory or motor reason that we that that's hard. Mm. So, yeah. but, so we're going to have this ability to move our eyes. But if we don't, then that's so foundational. And it, it, it does undermine then the next level of comp- complexity. So really in your clinical mm. reasoning, what you're looking for are what are the foundations that they have in place? And then what, am I, what are the stretch points? Sometimes I'll teach this through using this spiraling continuum that comes from Grady Guilfoyle yeah. and Moore. We've talked about it many times. <laughs> um, but I always, I really do try to think about what is in that landing pad. What is in the, their, their zone of proximal development? And then where is their referent point? Like, is his referent point you being eight inches away and totally affectively fully engaged with him in order for him to have psychotic eye function that's social and serving his executive function. So the next stretch point for him would be to, if it's primarily ocular and postural motor, then that's your stretch point. If it's primarily attention, then that's your stretch point. If it's primarily planning and space then that's your stretch point. Right. So, so it's really through clinical reasoning that you figure it out. So I was just going to try to give an example of each of those in that. So if it's mostly postural ocular, if that's the thing that's not pulling together for him, then I would try to stretch him further in that skill, given that task. So if, for just for an example, maybe the swing isn't the bolster swing because I wanted to stretch him slightly in his postural system and I shift it to potentially a platform swing. I don't know, you know, because it doesn't have the hip. I'm just giving an example that maybe I could try and see if that, if I can still keep him connected, keep the adaptive function of the psychotic eye movement back to me rather than flitting off and and then going um whereas if if it's spatial like if they're if for him spatial processing is and i'm sure all of these things are but mm. it's just me then figuring out which one's the biggest piece but if it's clearly a spatial challenge then do i shift myself in spatial orientations as we play the game and can you still then psychotically find me and that mm. that could also relate That's posturally right even just how do I rotate my posture then to find you if you're not directly in front of me or, um, and then, or if it's social, if it's in that pathway, then how do I either play playfully obstruct or whatever it is? And then can you still stay in it? So is that what you're meaning, Tracy? That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to put this on the head because I've got some kiddos that I work with and they love to sit in the exact function domain. They know presidents of United States and their height and their date of birth and death and the order with which. So in sessions, that's where they want to live and they're repeating that. I don't feel like it's a... Uh, for mastery 
and and they they are they leaving they're not really going to the automatic or allowing me to come in from a social perspective or even a sensory motor perspective I can't turn it into something else um oh, I don't even know if you I'm just, asking my question yeah. but it's just like they're living in exact function trace and it feels like I guess um some of the kiddos go there and maybe I do too <laughs> to regulate like I wonder if it's a coming back to and then they talk think and talk about the presidents repetitively is that a, I've assumed that's a regulation strategy because they um, anyway. I just want have to, I got enough in there for you to well, yeah, help but me I, understand you why just, do people live in exact function? Well, you made me. You just made me think of which we can Tracy can we can all talk to. But if um, you know if that repeatingness, because if I was thinking about it, I'd be like, oh, they're not shifting which is one of the executive functions, right, Tracy? So they're kind of stuck and sticking to this one thing over and over and over again. And if I was just going to purely think about, oh, then how do I shift them away from this? I could miss what Michelle may have picked up on, which is, well, why? Yeah, why aren't they shifting? Mm. And what is it about this that's supporting them? And you've smartly gone, well, maybe it's regulating them in some capacity. But Mm. that, how does that, that particular thing in terms of sticking to the one thing help us connect executive functions to regulation. And even keeping in the exec domain rather than the sensory motor or the social. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> take it away, Tracy. Take Sorry. it away. It's a big question. Poor <laughs> oh, Tracy. We've got seven minutes for you to unpack that. Well, it's an it's kind of um, a new age question and an age old question, kind of simultaneously. And and honestly, depending on your discipline and your perspective, you might answer it really differently. What I what I love about um, about how we holistically help to understand kids, though, is that we're not going to get too connected or or like bought into any one perspective and really try to answer the question, the why question. Mm-hmm. So the, at the at the cornerstone of clinical reasoning is really the why. And if we can understand the why, then we'll then we'll really pretty logically know the what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so for one kiddo that has you know mastery over a topic. Um, sometimes it is more about, um, this is something that I come back to mm. that gives me a sense of agency and mastery and competence and certainty. And from a place of certainty, um, there is a safeness that establishes my regulation that I kind of know the landscape because we're talking about something I can talk about. Mm. And I don't need to worry too much about the things I don't know because I'm going to just talk about the thing I know how to talk about. So for very many individuals, that getting stuck in a loop is a safety loop. And mm. we, if we acknowledge that it's creating a safety loop and we address it more from a regulation standpoint, mm. let me be with you here and understand that with you and be curious and interested. And, and, then, and then when you're feeling regulated and safe, probably the the openness to shifting Mm. will reveal itself. Um, But for another kiddo, it could be that that they're using it in a different regulatory capacity to sort of just paint the landscape for themselves in a different way. Um, For another child, it could be that 
when they're trying to deal with complexity. So this is the same thing. It's a regulation issue. Mm-hmm. But they're trying to deal with complexity, and so they're, they're giving you what they know so that, that they're removing some level of complexity. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so lots of times, you know, on, on some level, there are theories that suggest that complex processing is really something we all need to understand better. So we started this episode talking about complex processing, and there, very often it is related back to, I'm just processing what I can process because the rest of it is too complicated. The thing that's interesting is that sometimes individuals who get stuck in loops like that, once they get organized enough, they can tell you, I really didn't want to keep talking about the presidents. It was just the only thing I could pull up. Mm. It was the only thing I could go to. And so sometimes it isn't just talk to me about the thing I'm interested in. It's help me talk with you. Mm. Help me be with you. So on a regulation standpoint, that's what we're always going for is you and me together in a we space, as Dr. Mm. Siegel would say. And in that space, we can co-create the world together. So we want to go for that if that's the regulation foundation. But some kids get stuck in a topic because that sometimes I think about it like more like a from a attention and language standpoint mm-hmm. and it's just that 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 of information is so big and the other one they're trying to draw from is a little smaller mm-hmm. and it feels like it's I just can't find my way out over to that other content that I have. Um, So very often it's more of a language processing issue and we need to help smooth that. Um, So again, it it just comes down to all of these multi-component aspects to higher level skills uh, like attention shifting and that we have to drill down to the why if if we can get there. You just made me think of the kids that you'll start, like if you've done an assessment with them and then you're, and you're asking for a specific assessment task to be done and they will just give you what they know. They'll be like, oh, no, I'm, I'm not going to fold the puppy. It, it's a colouring task. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. like I've had kids do that where it's like, yeah, that's like way, whatever you're asking me to do is way too hard. I'm just going to show you what I know, you know, and they, yeah. and those kids, like people are like, oh, they don't listen and they don't follow instructions. It's like, instead they just go, well, that's so hard for me. So I'm just going to show you what I can do because like I can do this, but I can't do that. It's like, well, why, you know, why might that be happening? <laughs> and it's kind of adaptive. Yeah. You're moving towards something that's familiar rather than a real moving away or, you know, no, 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 yeah. I'm not doing that. Like that's even harder. Yeah. And they're, you know, that for some people they're harder to understand. So that delightfully, you know, just, oh, I'm going to make the puppy pink instead yeah. of cutting the puppy out. Yeah. And I guess we all want to show what we can do rather than... <laughs> be failing at something right like no one enjoys that experience I've never really thought about the kids that maybe the language processing isn't quite there yet so I can I can give you what I have in my language here but I can't quite get over there like Mm. I don't know how you would smooth that out though is that more like we would need a speech beachy to come in and help us in that definitely definitely I think sometimes it really is trying to understand how language development supports all of this and it's a whole other topic and you know I the Mm. spirit doesn't have language on it in a particular way I think it's um 
not that we try to exclude it. It's just that it's really developed as an uh, OT tool to help us. And now it just has so much application that that at some point maybe we'll add language processing <laughs> to the tool. But for now, what we need to do is really have a speech and language therapist, you know, help us with it because it is it's a whole level of complexity that we could. Well, there's yeah, there's a lot there. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> do you know what's popping up for me is this state dependency. We um and the the. There's different days when I can take different things on (laughs) or different levels of complexity and I can regulate myself and cheer myself on to be like, you can do this, Michelle, and, you know, that I even front up and try to participate and draw on all my resources to do that. There's other times it was like, man, it's been a tough week. The kids just fought in the way home in the car and, you know, it's raining and we don't have any food in the house. I'm not talking about tax tonight, Dale, sorry. Yeah. (laughs) Or whatever it is. And I I know I'm saying that playfully about myself, but um, it's like that for kiddos. It's like they come to us sometimes straight after, you know, in between their schoolwork. It's the weather's been all over the shop here there's some flooding happening at the moment like there's lots going on for families it's harvest time so there might be some stress about all the rain impacting crops crops and you know getting flooded out and um am i safe not safe and get to school and it's heavy raining so there's no recess anyway they come to at and i give them the challenge that they successfully (laughs) did last week was like you're out of your mind michelle (laughs) (laughs) so it's just that um yeah, state dependent for sure. capacity. That's right. And sometimes, you know, rep- repetition and perseveration are are cornerstones to, you know, just a window into understanding that a person's not in the most adaptive place. Whether that's because of something internal or external is a good question. And it could just be life is hard right now, so I'm going to be a little bit stuck or I'm going to be a little mm. less able to make a lot of shifts or take on a new level of complexity. And I think being sensitive to that, you know, and I think we've all had to learn how to be really more attuned to those external factors during this pandemic that we're all in, um, Mm. where the level of stress sometimes and just allostatic load of of what's happening that we're all holding is a real factor. Mm. So we do see that as, you know, an issue. I don't know. We could talk about this repetition um, through so many different lenses. It also brings up for me in just a totally tangential way. I often work with individuals or with different groups around uh, this condition called fragile X syndrome. And one of the thing, one of the features of fragile X syndrome is that people do get highly perseverative in their words and their thoughts and their actions. And so at some point, you know, we'll do, I think we'll do an episode on fragile X syndrome and maybe look at it from a, you know, that perspective as well, just in terms of when your neurophenotype sets you up to have more of that profile. And and certainly, Mm. you know, some of the children that we work with have perseveration without having fragile X, but lessons from fragile X can help us to understand understand this from a you know kind of and that's partly how I've kind of come to understand it I think that'd be really useful so looking at it from more of a biological um function rather than an an 
um, a quality that they're using to try and adapt or cope and survive. So we're more a behavioural um, or a skill-based thing. Yeah, That'd awesome. be awesome. Oh, what another fantastic discussion. <laughs> Thanks, guys. I love our journeys that we go on. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, awesome. We'll see everybody next time, whenever that is. Thanks, <laughs> yeah. awesome. Thanks, spirited conversations, you guys. Thanks so much. This podcast is brought to you by Seed Pediatric Services and Developmental FX. For more information, please go to our show notes on our website, spiritedconversationspodcast.com or catch us on our Seed and Developmental FX Facebook or Insta pages. So grateful to have you with us for this episode. Take care and we'll see you next time.